rest upon our hearts. Touch us, deliver us, set us free. God, do it for us today, and we'll give your name praise. Come on, you know this. Like the two in morning, gently rest upon my heart. Like the two in morning, gently rest upon my heart. Come on, sing it.
upon us as we go to thy word. Bless your people. Let us come to the end of this service rejoicing and being filled with your spirit and with your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1.9 And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. And in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. And finally in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 4, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So Philippians 1.9 says more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says more and more. And 1 Thessalonians 4.10 says more and more. So my subject is be seated. Not all relationships exist at the same level of priority, intensity, and closeness. In Philippians 1, verse 1 and verse 2, listen to the Apostle Paul, Philemon, I beg your pardon, and note the various levels of closeness and relationship. Philemon 1 and 2 says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, beloved, and to Archippus, our fellow, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Paul gives a list of those with whom he's associated. When he speaks of Timothy, he says, he's my brother. When he speaks of Philemon, he says, he's my beloved friend and fellow laborer. And when he speaks of Aphia, he says that Aphia is beloved. And Archippus, he's a fellow soldier. And then to the church in your house. Paul shared different levels of relationship and even different kinds of relationship with the people who were around him. Even Jesus shared different levels of relationship and different degrees of closeness with the people who were around him. With the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the priests who opposed him, he shared rebuke and correction. With the multitudes that sought after him, he shared wisdom, miracles, and provision. With the followers, the Bible calls them the 70, he shared empowerment, and he shared authority over demons and the principles of evil. With the 12 disciples, he shared all of that, plus strategy, insight, broader 
understanding and with a greater percentage of his time. With three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, he shared his struggles, he shared his low moments, he shared his high moments. With one disciple, John called the beloved disciple, that one leaned on his breast and shared his heart. And his relationship with John was so close that he said to John, after my departure, I want you to take care of my mother. All of us in the room have different levels of relationship with various people who are in one degree or another around us. There are individuals with whom you'll probably never meet and individuals that you'd never speak to. That's level one. You should have a spirit of kindness toward them. You should be receptive to the fact that they are created by God and are members of the human family. You may at most share a nod or brief hello as you get on or off the elevator and you'll never meet them again. But at this level, you should be willing to support efforts to enhance the plight of those in the world who need help and assistance, and you should advocate and enhance justice for all who are in the world. That's level one. Next, there's a person with whom you happen to interact only once or only very infrequently in your life. That's level two a person who sits beside you on the plane, on a bus, a person with whom you share a waiting room. But even there, the conversation should not always be about you. You should seek to create an appropriate atmosphere and you should have an appropriate discussion that is pleasant and preferable, not just to you, but also to the other person. That's level two. But then there's the person with whom you must interact because they are in a prolonged way in your space, or in the same space you are in. That's level three. Coworkers, neighbors, members of the same organizations. But you seldom if ever go out of your way to interact with them on a personal level in a significant way. If so, you say, hello, how are you? Good to see you, people. And that's level three. But I suppose at the next level are the people whom you consider to be a part of your social circle of casual friends. That's level four. You see one another occasionally, greet one another warmly, you might even invite them to special events. But if you call, there needs to be a reason why you call. That's level four. But the next level of relationship, there does not need to be a reason why you should call. But don't call every day, please. <laughs> you call every once in a while just to stay in touch. Uh-huh. You interact, you check on them in that broad circle, find out what's on their calendar and how they are doing. That's level five. 
But at the next level, level six, there's mutual understanding that you are supposed to stay in touch frequently. You want to stay in touch frequently. You extend to one another the right and the privilege of being a part of one another's lives. And you extend to that person the right to ask you, why haven't I been able to catch up with you lately? Are you all right? We need to check in and make sure that we stay in touch with one another. That's level six. Then there's another level, the level seven, where neither of you think of your life without the other person being in it. You want to share their joys. You want to share their sorrows. That person is one of the first persons you call when something good happens. And they're one of the first persons you call when something bad happens. That's level seven. There's a level at which our friendships began to blur into family relationships and vice versa. That's level eight, where your friend becomes like a brother, or like a sister, like a mother, like a father, where your biological family really is your family, heart, soul, mind, and body, and where you are with them and enjoy them not just because you are kin, but because there are no people whom you love and enjoy more than you enjoy them. That is the way family relationships are supposed to be. And if you, my brother, my sister, have found yourself drifting away from your family, go out of your way to stay in touch and to keep them close. With the exception of your family, Level eight and beyond relationships are very few and far in between and seldom do they occur. But level eight relationships are the most enjoyable relationships that one can find on earth. David and Jonathan had a level eight relationship. In 1 Samuel 18 and 1, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Saul took David into his home and would not let David go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. That was a level eight relationship. Ruth and Naomi portray a level eight relationship also. In Ruth 1.14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And Orpah, Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and back to her God. Return after your sister-in-law. Her sons are dead. Time for you two to go your way. Find other husbands. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. 
are to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. So Ruth took hands and relationship and heart with her mother-in-law Naomi and decided I'm going to be with you until my death. The role of a faithful father is a level eight relationship and above. Father is not just a name, but father implies function and father implies relationship. A real father does not play an optional elective role in the lives of his children. A real father's relationship with his children is mandatory. It is Elect is not elective, it is authoritative. If he's your father, he's obligated to love you, obligated to provide for you, obligated to prepare you for adulthood. You are obligated to love him, respect him, and obey him, and become in every way the very person, best person that you can become. And what I'm trying to get to is that God should be thought of as the ideal and perfect father. Look at your neighbor and say, God should be thought of as the ideal and perfect father. Malachi 2.10 says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created all of us? All men are children of God by creation. But believers are children of God by adoption. For John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And Paul in Galatians 4 and 4 says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, Paul said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we're children of God by adoption and children of God by faith. And the predominant sentiment that our Father God has toward us is love. The main thing God feels about you is love. Tell your neighbor God's in love with you. In Jeremiah 31 and 3, the Bible says, the Lord hath appeared of old to me, saying, I have loved you with everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn you. And Jesus, the Son of God, is the highest expression of the love of God our Father for us. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He says not that he gave the flesh of his only son. It says that he gave his only son. That says to me that everything Jesus was was hanging on that cross. Jesus was God in the flesh. He did not cease being who he was when he hung on the cross. And so somehow God himself was hanging on that cross on Calvary. And he lets us know that his love for us is the greatest force that has ever been unleashed upon this earth of ours. The love of God is the greatest force ever unleashed on the earth. And the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross informs us of the level of commitment that God has for us and that God expects from us. I said the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross informs us how much God loves us and how much God expects us to love him. There's no greater love than the love of God. And the love of God is the greatest force on the earth. Come on, clap your hands and praise God. John 3 and 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And love makes you vulnerable. How many of you know love makes you vulnerable? Some folk can't hurt you unless you love them. But if you love them, they can hurt you. All parents in the room know can we, we can be hurt by the plight, by the condition, and by the behavior of our children. And God is vulnerable. There's an area where God can be hurt. There is an area of the possibility of sorrow in the heart of God. And all this seems to speak to me about a vulnerable God because love makes you vulnerable. To be vulnerable is to be susceptible to physical and emotional harm or attack. I know God cannot be diminished. I know that God cannot be handicapped. But listen to some of the things the Bible says about God, what he feels about you. Genesis 6-5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. God can grieve. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. God can be wounded. God can be hurt. God can be made to feel sorrow. God can be made to grieve because he loves us so much. Tell your neighbor God loves us so much. Let me say that this God who can be grieved loves us so much that he expects and deserves not only to be loved by us, 
but he deserves to be loved at the highest possible level. Tell your neighbor, our God deserves to be loved at the highest possible level. God expects this. He complained to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, 15. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Half-hearted worship, apathetic worship, apathetic praise, half-hearted worship grieves the heart of God. God said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but I get no joy out of your worship. And I've got to spew you out of my mouth. He said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 and 4, yet there's one thing wrong. You don't love me like you did at first. The same love you had for God, God wants more and more, never less than less. And if your love is not as intense, not as strong as it should be, as it was at the beginning, then God is grieved and God is hurt. God wants our love for him. God wants our relationship with him to grow stronger and stronger every day. Tell your neighbor, God wants our love to grow stronger and stronger every day. And may I say it's a dangerous thing and a detrimental thing to reject God's attempt to be close to us. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, it's a dangerous and detrimental thing for God to reject God's attempt to be close to us. It's dangerous not to maximize. It's dangerous not to prioritize. It's dangerous not to maximize our relationship to God. We need to make it stronger and stronger every day. We need to make it stronger because it's in Him that we live, in Him that we move, in Him that we have our being. We've got to get stronger in him because there's no moving without him, no living without him, no being without him. There are many things that we can't control. There are many forces that come against us and we can't face them by ourselves. We need the Lord to help us as we go through life. Come on, tell your neighbor. We need the Lord as we go through life. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We need to maximize and prioritize our relationship with God because God has maximized and prioritized his relationship with us. You are important unto the Lord. He's done so much for you. He's brought you so close to himself. Nobody has done more for you than God. So you ought to love him. He ought to be first in our lives because something else will take his place if we don't give God his place. 
If we don't draw God close, something else will stand in the place of God and something will get between us and God. I don't want anything to be between me and God. I want to be close so the devil can't wake his way. I want to be close so people and money and life cannot get between me and God. Is there anybody here that loves the Lord? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you really want your life to be rich, if you want your life to be productive, then you need to get close to God and let God have his place in your life. And so the text says in Philippians 1, 9, I pray that your love may abound more and more. And in Thessalonians 4, 1, Paul said that you should abound more and more. And in Thessalonians 4.10, he said, Brethren, I want you to increase more and more. And so will you tell your neighbor, God wants more and more. Tell them one more time, God wants more and more. So many people are casual. So many people are apathetic. But God wants our love to be strong and dynamic. God wants us to love him more than we love anything else. God wants us to be saved. If you're not saved, you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, come into my heart. I want to know you like I've never known you before. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost part of the world. Power is in the Holy Ghost. God wants you to be filled. God wants you to live a life of prayer. Just like you call your friend up and talk to your friend. You ought to call up Jesus every day. Say, I just call to let you know I love you. I just call to say thank you. You're so good. I just want to praise you. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn 